There is only one thing on this earth more powerful than evil, and that's us. Hi, I'm Nicholas Brendan, and you're listening to the Buffy Back Issue Ben. Welcome to the Buffy Back Issue, but the show where we go through all the Buffy and Angel comics that are canon chronologically. I'm Zach. And I'm Emily. This week we are talking more of Season 8 in the arc titled Retreat, written by Jane Espenson. Now last episode, Jane Espenson had done a one-shot that I disparaged pretty harshly. Both past and present you. What did I call it? An atrocity? Something, I, a lot of something really terrible very, names. like an unnecessary level of hatred towards something that ultimately, you know, doesn't matter. But yeah, whatever. I didn't think it was that bad, but but you were rather vitriolic in your comments. It might be worth a crusade or two. That harmony one shot, yeah. All right, well, a holy war. Grab your sword. Well, they're about to grab some swords, but Lance? this is an arc that I actually really enjoy quite a bit. Retreat, and, not the other one. By the by, yeah. And what we got here, and I'll just, you know, no need to bury the lead. I'll just give it up front. We get the return of Oz. Oz played by Seth Green. He was on the show between seasons two and four. Who went on to make more money than anyone else on the show? Did you meet Seth Green at New York Comic Con in 2009? You mean that? Picture this right behind my head. Where I'm at, like, my absolute budgiest. I was really more concerned about the Seth Green part of that picture, but... Oh, no, I was more concerned about the peak pudge. <laughs> okay. You're so happy. Well, me and Seth Green are biffles. Best friends for life. Obviously. Because we have one photo together. But he didn't charge, so I appreciate that. That's really nice of him. But I remember when this was sneakily announced, this came up at a con where Joss was doing a Q&A and someone was like, hey, is Oz ever going to come back? And, and Joss went like, yeah, he's coming back later this season. And everyone freaked the hell out. And it's amazing. I love having Oz back. Just so we're clear as well, a season... At this point, means nothing like a one calendar year. year. This one that lasts four years. But this is the return of Oz, and it's super exciting. And Jane Espenson does a great job. She knows the character's voice really well. She was one of the longest show writers, and some stuff of hers I don't enjoy, but this, she really knocks it out of the park. Which, dear listener, if you have listened to this at all. That's such a nagging thing. Like, yeah, some of it's good, but some of it's bad. <laughs> I was going to say. What, on the other hand, a nagging thing. Screw it. I really like this. It's really good. I don't want to take away from the quality that we have here. Yes. Except for the parts that I will belittle. It's good. I don't have inherent prejudices against writers. If something's good, it's good. I'm not going to be like, but it was a writer I didn't like, so I'm going to frown at it. If it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. It doesn't really matter who does it. I totally agree with that. Anyway, moving on. It's a good arc. So we open up the issue and we see some seagulls flying. With a fish. A flock of seagulls. With a fish. Not a band. Is that a band? Yes. Well, there you go. Not Were they around band. before I was born? Yes. See? So it doesn't even matter. Okay. But it turns out this flock of seagulls is, you know, all of our series regulars. And they're trying to hide from Twilight and his menagerie. Band of Merry Followers? Menagerie. I like my Robin Hood-ing more. But we see that the seagulls and a fish are really Buffy, Willow, Xander, and Don, and they go back to their castle in Scotland. And for some reason, Kennedy and Satsu have returned with a sub. But, you know, let's not deal with however that happened. Nope. Instead, we cut right over and we find that Faith and Giles are underground in Germany somewhere. 
Yeah, because, you know, hanging out in a Nazi bunker in Germany certainly isn't foreboding. Right. And so they're in... Except it is. Just a little. They're in Berlin. They get attacked by some demons. And we cut over to... Andrew in Italy. Yep. We know he's in Italy because he's in the catacombs. You thought it was unclear that it was Italy. Yeah. But Andrew is approached by Skinless Warren, who says that Andrew should come and join them because they will be as gods as Warren told him before. Except that Warren never said that to Andrew. The first said that to Andrew pretending to be Warren. And this will come up in a couple of issues, but I'm honestly not sure if this was intentional or a mistake. But it kind of works on either level. It's kind of funny when it comes back. It's like, you didn't even say that. That was the first that did that, pretending to be you. And before Warren can trick Andrew into turning to the dark side yet again, some kind of... Goat man. They call him Goat man. Some goat minotaur. Goat matar shows up. And Andrew whacks him with a bone and says... I bet you won't find this too humorous. It's terrible. It's a terrible pun. It's a bone pun. But I know that you really like puns. Andrew's into the bone zone. I don't know what that means. I don't know. It just sounded neat. Okay. Just checking. Sounds like a sex thing, though. Anyway, moving on. We find that everybody is slowly making their way back to the Scottish Highlands and Buffy. Scotland. You're all done. You're all done with the accents now. Okay. I won't be. (laughs) But we see that Will is in bed with Kennedy. Shoots straight up. There's a copy of Wicked next to her bed, which I found charming. Incidentally, we've seen that on Broadway. Well, aren't we fancy? (laughs) We are. It was fun. Had a good time. But everyone gathers outside of Buffy's door, Willow, Kennedy, Xander, and Dawn, and they decide that they should probably knock before entering Buffy's room just in case she has company. But this time she doesn't. And Willow informs her that everyone's coming, and she means everyone. All their allies are going to be coming to Scotland to be in the same spot. And... Everyone comes in, Andrew hugs Dawn because she's no longer a giant, and Buffy and Giles embrace. And it's so sweet. I love it. There's no messing around. There's no, like, we have to talk this out. It's just, we had a fight, we were mad, it's not important, we gotta do what we gotta do, and we're gonna be together again. And I'm always a big fan of the Buffy-Giles relationship. It's such a good... It's a very familial relationship. Yeah, it's, the two of them work together so well, they're both willing to collaborate and also do what the other one isn't willing to do yeah and the it's just it's such a good relationship and i love the two of them together and buffy sheds a single sexy tear because even though it's not a movie we still get the single sexy tear who actually cries like that have you ever seen anybody actually cry like that um i get red in the face and snotty (laughs) the fountain of snot (laughs) I think that's what everybody is. Just a fountain of snot. But we find out that... Someone is storming the castle. Yeah, it's not just our friends who managed to find out what particular castle in Scotland that Buffy and company are hiding at. It was, in fact, all of the demons as well. All of the demons. Led by Twilight. And I like Willow's first attack. They're about to cross over, and these demons aren't just demons. They're demons with tanks. Which is confusing. And Willow says, remove the bridge spell. And everyone falls into the water. Yeah, it's very um, Prince of Egypt-esque. Yes, that time the Prince of Egypt had a tank. But instead of shooting the castle of the tank, they fire catapults full of grenades. Yeah, because why not? And magic. 
and the castle is destroyed, and a bunch of girls die, and everyone retreats to the submarine that Satsu brought with her. That's right, because we still have a submarine. You remember that submarine from when they blew up the vampy cats? So we must be on the Scottish coast? I guess. Willa just teleports them, so it doesn't really matter. That's true. Although the submarine is underwater, it doesn't really matter. We have a submarine. That's what matters. And a teleporter. Yes. And Buffy is speaking with Giles inside the submarine. She doesn't know what to do because Twilight keeps finding them and this castle keeps getting bombed, which this first issue feels like a little bit of a waste of space because we just finished up a story where the castle was attacked and bombed. Yeah. So let's bomb it again because, you know, Except that it's a good excuse for us to leave the castle because we actually leave the castle this time fully. We get everybody out of the castle. Let's never go back there. Do we ever go back there? Never. Oh. By the castle. Castles are great. Buffy and Giles talk it out, and they kind of determine that Twilight's been able to find them because they're using magic. Side note, Giles is wearing a sweater vest, so please imagine that while you're listening to us. And Buffy's really concerned about magic, and she confides in Giles that in the future that she kills Willow, stakes her through the heart, with a page that went for a fair amount of money. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And Giles is like, basically, we don't have enough time to deal with this right now, so... Normally I'd be skeptical of this, but God, I don't have the time to even start to deal with you time traveling. So let's just deal with that after we've dealt with the immediate problem of we're all on a submarine and where do we go? And we're going to die because they're going to be able to track our magic. And Buffy comes up with a plan to go find the one person they know who has made a life out of trying to be less magic. And so thus, we cut over to a mountainous scene. In Tibet, and there's a gentle bell ringing, and an eye flutters open. And a submarine lands in the middle of the mountains. In Tibet. In Tibet. And we see our first appearance of Oz since season four. And this has got to be my favorite moment of this whole thing. Oz has been gone for years and years and years, and a nuclear sub pops up in front of him. And he says the Aussiest of all Oz lines that have ever been Ozzed. And what is it? Huh. Nice. It's 100% Oz. I love it. I love it so much. That was one of your better imitations. I do a hell of a Seth Green. <laughs> Can you do a Seth Green? I don't know. But it's a better imitation than most of them. But Oz is back in his most understated way. And I love it. And following, you know... A sub full of torpedoes landing in the middle of Tibet. We cut back to Twilight's facility, where Amy approaches Twilight and says that, you know, my magic tells me that everybody's dead. They all drowned. And Twilight's like, no, that's not a thing. Well, he overreacts. He smacks this magical bowl out of Amy's hands. He's like, I know Buffy too well to think that she'll be quiet when she dies. (laughs) And then Skinless Warren in the background goes, he knows Buffy? Yeah, we all kind of picked up on that a while ago, but let's... But let's make it very explicit, Skinless Warren. Let's continue to sow these seeds of hinting. (laughs) I don't know what you want from me. It was super dramatic. I liked it. But because they used so much magic when they got away that they can still be tracked to the place where they're going to not use magic. So, bad plan? Bad plan. Could we just not submarine somewhere? Yeah, let's just... We're already in a method of transport, but whatever. Whatever. That's not what we do. We cut over to the main cast is meeting with Oz. And this is something that I wish we had seen the actual reunion of. 
we don't see Oz greeting everyone. We just cut to like the middle of them all talking. And Oz has been gone for so long, it feels like that that's a missing scene. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing like, that... Let's it's... just dive right into it. Like, hey, Oz, how's it been going? You've only been gone for, you know, years. Let's not deal with that reunion. There's also the question of how do they even know where to find Oz? But whatever. Magic is the short answer. Yes, but... magic. I was going to say, we've already... In season four, we established that Oz is terrible at keeping contact with everyone and does not write. Unlike you? You're the one who described texting me like writing letters. Maybe you'll get a response in a few days. Maybe you won't. <laughs> it's helpful. I think of it as like putting information out there in the world. You just need to have your expectation level at the right place. Willow's in a fun bucket hat and Buffy is pleading with Oz that he needs to help or they need to leave because they need to learn how to not be magical. Okay, when was the last time you saw a fun bucket hat? Besides Gilligan. You're putting a lot of thought into this. I am. Willow. Okay, great. And they're being served tea by a lady named Baymara. Butter tea. Xander doesn't like the tea as greasy tea. Yeah, I've never had butter tea. I really like butter and tea a lot. Combined them, I guess. I don't know, but I really like butter. And we find out very quickly that Oz has a baby. And he's married Baymara. We're going to call her Bay. B-A-Y, not that new Bay thing. Like I said... Somebody's not super into newfangled technology or terminology. In any case, we find out that they have a baby. And so Xander looks over at the puppy who's just sitting there, who's super cute. She just goes, woof. Because Oz is a werewolf, so they think the puppy is the baby. But no, they have another baby who's... They have a human baby. Not a dog. Named Keldon. Yeah. What a terrible name. It's not great. I wonder what the puppy's name is. Maybe they could switch names. But Buffy asks again, and Oz kind of retells his new origin story. We see Oz back in Buffy season four after he broke up with Willow and went to Tibet where he finds the monks. And I love the attention to detail here. He's wearing the same jacket he was wearing in season four, which is a sheepskin jacket. Because, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Thanks. You're welcome. I, that was a real laugh. I bought that. Ha ha ha. That was real. I believe your art. But while Oz is in Tibet, he's still learning to deal with his wolferism. I'm sure there's a better name for that. And he's in a cage and he meets Bay before he goes back to Sunnydale. And I like that they have that long standing of a connection that she's not just something new. That he meets her before he can fully control the situation. Yeah. Wolfishness might be a better word. But we see that he thought that he was getting better and he tried to return because we saw him come back in season four, episode 18, after he'd left in 406. Yep. I believe you on those numbers. I'm, I'm right. I know you are. <laughs> I don't even have to look. And there's a lovely recreation of he's saying that he thought he was ready, but he wasn't. And we see Oz with Tara in that amazing moment right before he turns into the wolf for an emotional reaction. He just looks at her and goes, run. Right before he turns, and the shirt is a perfect match, and the scene is a perfect match. There's a lot of attention to the detail in the art that I appreciate. It really helps the continuity. And after Riley freed him from the initiative when he was captured, he went back to Tibet, and he says that they just need to give in to their power and kind of let it go and feed it into the earth. And Buffy signs off on this. Yep, because to Buffy, this is the only solution. This is the only permanent solution to keep Twilight from hunting them is to 
get rid of the thing that tags them to Twilight. Which is giving up her power, which, hey, that's not going to come back in season 11. It will come back in season 11. It comes back and they mention Tibet. Ooh. I appreciate the continuity. Yeah, me too. But while this has happened, we cut over to Twilight's camp. And we see that Riley's back. Yep, and he's talking to a little squirrely man with John Lennon glasses. Yep. And they are trying to figure out where the magic signals are coming from. And he mentions that there was a pretty big spike that he saw on his map. A spike? I know, I love Riley's like, spike? No, 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 that spike. And Twilight comes over, he's like, what did you find? He's like, I found a spike. Spike? Nobody wants to find spike. But this little squirrely man is a little uncomfortable. He's like, so we're trying to stop magic, but I found the spike. We're going to use Amy to pinpoint where they are using magic. Isn't that kind of counterintuitive to what we're doing? Like, shut up, little squirrely man. <laughs> They're like, go sit in the corner now. Read more charts. <laughs> Find fewer spikes. We don't like spike here. <laughs> and Oz continues to tell his origin where him and Baymar continue to connect. Also, she's a werewolf. And Oz is wearing a Dingo's Ate My Baby t-shirt which was his band, mm-hmm. and I appreciate his continuous branding, even in Tibet. Always be branding. That is your motto. Only at cons. I saw the... I guess all the time. ...most recent t-shirt. And Oz talks about how that, you know, when the full moon comes, they just kind of give up their wolferism and feed it into the earth. And I like wolfishness. They... I'm going to make it work. All right, we'll use wolfishness. And when they turn, they let the power seep into the ground, and they don't have to worry about changing. Which is kind of cool. They figured out a cure to becoming a werewolf. Not even Harry Potter could do that. But not everyone in this area who are werewolves agree, and some of them think that the werewolf is the best part of them and want to just feed into that part and be super murdery. And the leader of this other faction is named Monroe, and he does not see eye to eye with Oz and Bay. And Don and his background panels all of a sudden just going, Suspenseful. And I've got it with Dawn on this one. Because Monroe's about to attack Oz in his flashback. I bet he's gonna die. Spoiler alert. Oz does not die in the flashback. And Bay turns into a werewolf, bites Monroe, and he runs away. And they have these two warring factions of werewolves. This is very Twilight. Yes. Yes, it is. But Oz is concerned that Buffy has made Tibet a very big target for a large governing power to come in and screw everything up. Luckily... The mountains surrounding their little... Free Tibet! Luckily, the mountains surrounding their little home (laughs) make it so that it's hard for Twilight's magic people to pinpoint exactly where they are. Amy teleports Twilight and his crew over to Tibet, including a general, who this is a fun little art error. It was written in the script that it was a general. This is supposed to be the general from the first arc of Buffy who shot Ethan Rain. And had the Twilight symbol carved in his chest, but it wasn't clear, so George's Genty just drew a whole new general. I kind of like that. <laughs> There's just a mistaken new general. Because it doesn't really affect things. It's a general working with Twilight, so obviously they're going to be pretty anti-Slayer, but... It's just funny. That it is pretty funny. There's this little error in there. They teleport to the mountains. They're not quite on top of Buffy, the Slayers, and Oz. And... This is probably going to be the point where I kind of give it away without saying explicitly who it is, but I can't not talk about this. For this entire season, for everything that happens, this is the most out-of-character moment. Like, once the Twilight reveal happens, if you go back and see this, it's everything this character is not, and it doesn't make any sense. While they're in the mountains, Warren mentions to Twilight, how are we going to find them? And he says, 
They can't help what they are. They'll make a mistake. We'll watch, we'll wait, we'll be ready. Kill the man that found this spike. This battle doesn't end with Buffy laying her, down her sword. It ends with her turning the sword against herself. Which is super epic, but in the middle of that, you might have noticed that Twilight very flippantly orders a man to be murdered. Yes. Up until now, Twilight, while clearly he has not cared too much about collateral damage, he has not requested anybody to be killed directly. And when we find out who this is, this is everything this character isn't. And when we get a little deeper into the season, I can get a lot of the motivation behind these actions and everything that's going on. But him just offhandedly ordering a man's death makes no sense. And it's so inconsequential and it's so offhand and it's so harsh and cruel and it's everything this character isn't. And I, this is my least favorite moment of the season. It's very small, but it stands out as so uncharacteristic of who, I'm going to throw it in air quotes, Twilight is. Thank you for saying air quotes because the people can't see it but me. I saw the air quotes. <laughs> I, I promise they were there. I legitimately did them. But I hate this moment. I hate it more than anything else in this entire season. It makes no sense. It's so out of character. Yes. We've talked about this moment many a time. To back you up on this one, it really doesn't make sense. I don't like it either. I am or less fervently against it, but I don't like it. We're probably not going to revisit it just because this never comes up again, but that's part of why I hate it so much, that it's so offhand and it's so casual. And and it just doesn't fit. And Who, who Twilight is, it's not them and it's so ugh, it's awful i hate it i really hate this moment and part of it too is that everybody else's voice seems very spot on in this so to have this one character be very out of character for this one moment it's almost more jarring and also at this point it's i mean it's still a secret who twilight is but i don't think it's a secret with the people who are writing it i hope not how confusing would that be like, so, maybe it was though so he knows buffy but i'm not telling you who it is how weird would that be if it really were? Then I guess it's forgivable, but I really doubt that, so it's not. I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. So I hate that moment. And as we continue with retreats, we cut over to our main character for the next issue, Andrew. Andrew narrated things are always worth reading slash watching. Andrew is one of my favorite characters. I love his everything. <laughs> and he runs up to Giles' room in Tibet where he's knock, knock, knocking on his door, and Giles answers the door wearing a Sex Pistols sweatshirt, which I appreciate the hell out of. And then he puts his dressing gown over it. It's very cute. You know, he's wearing the second of two Sex Pistols albums. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Dressing gown. Yeah, and then he puts a robe on over his badass sweatshirt. (laughs) And we find out that Andrew has decided to take on the role of filmmaker he's back to the documentarian storyteller if you will if you will might be the title of episode 716 written by jane espenson who wrote this arc and so you flip the page and you just get this full page spread of andrew sitting there in his big red leather armchair smoking a pipe with with his smoking jacket on and his large tome that he's reading in his fantasy He also has an ice bucket and a tumbler next to him. He's just having a great time. But this is Andrew's fantasy and reality. It's just like Andrew in a sweatshirt. With a little camcorder. But still, I like Andrew in his own little head. 
But he's going around and we see that all the Slayers have lost their power and they're trying to redirect their energy, including burying the submarine, getting some yak's milk, and sparring. Some of them are dealing better with it than others, but none of them are really super excited about it. Kennedy says it's bullshit, and Willow says get the camera out of my face if you know it's good for you. And then we see Buffy and Faith together. I really like this moment. And There's Faith a- is really the first one who's on board with this whole losing their magic thing, which is kind of funny when you think about it. I mean, it isn't, it isn't. It makes sense. Faith has always been a character searching for control. Yeah. And there's something to be gained of, like, not being... I mean, she has a pedigree in this kind of Slayer line. She's kind of number two. Yes. And letting go of that a little bit, I think, has Faith regaining a sense of control in her own life. Yeah, that she gets to become her own person again because she's not the Slayer. She's not this, like, Slayer royalty. Yes. And Buffy and Faith are together, and Andrew's recording them, and they're trying to move a rock together for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. And there's a cat. This Tibetan cat is just hanging about. Watching them do their thing. There's been a dog. Now there's a cat. And Buffy's lamenting the loss of their power and... Their t-shirts are always worth noting. Buffy's wearing a Count, like the Count t-shirt from... Sesame Street. Sesame Street, thank you. One, two, three big rocks. (laughs) I feel like you've watched Sesame Street much more recently than I have. I guarantee I haven't. Anyway. But... Buffy and Faith connect over the fact that they don't have to stand over the rest of the Slayers anymore and the rest of humanity and everyone else. They can just be normal together and they connect. And Andrew and his narration, which I love because this really is one of the best moments. Ah, Faith and Buffy finally connecting. It's nice. Which it is. I like, we mentioned this a few episodes ago when it was the Faith-centric one, but the two of them have such a complex but such a rich relationship together that's always interesting to see how they play off each other and i don't i think... will never get sick of the buffy faith dynamic no and i don't think we really mentioned this before but andrew's purpose for his documentary is really to find the spy that he is convinced is living amongst them so he's gone around and interviewed all the slayers to see who was the most likely to be working with twilight and so when he films Buffy and Faith, he says, I don't detect the foul smell of spyishness here. I love Andrew. But our documentarian Andrew goes and finds Buffy and Xander. And the yak that they're talking to. Don't come back. <laughs> that was the best. You're like Andre the Giant and the Princess Bride. Anybody want a peanut? Physic. And Xander asks Buffy... She's told Will the big secret where it comes out that, you know, the thing the reader already knows of Buffy killing Will in the future. But this time it's caught on Andrew's tape. And we have another hint, which we got early in the season, that maybe there's a thing between Buffy and Xander and they're touching hands and Buffy's asking if she can feel more now. And Xander takes her hand and says, you tell me. This uh, is stupid and I don't like it. Spoiler alert. Nothing happens. Because nothing should happen. I'm convinced the original plan was that something had happened in the past. I'm so glad. I can't be unconvinced that that was the original intention. I'm so glad that nothing actually did happen. That we know of. I am going to continue to believe that nothing did happen. Are you on board, at least for my idea, that that was at least the original intention? I believe it was an option that they wanted to keep open and possibly explore if they felt like it. But Andrew runs to Giles' room. 
And I love that there's growth in the character. Andrew is more outspoken, and he's like, tell me the truth! He never would have been like that before. He was always sir. such... He says sir at the end, though. Answer the question, sir. He yells it at him. Yes, but he's much more polite than that. But this isn't the Andrew we had seen before. This feels like a natural progression of the character. Someone who's been leading a troop of slayers. Yeah. And Giles admits that he knows that Willow goes evil in the future. And that Buffy kills her. Andrew illustrates it out and says that it's heartbreaking. I like his illustrations. But speaking of Willow, we see that Willow and Oz are, you know, having the absolutely necessary scene that these two need to have together because of basically Oz's role in the show was his Willow's boyfriend. Yes. You know, secondary role going, Buffy's right! <laughs> Those are really his two jobs on the show. That's true. But Oz has his baby, and the cat and the dog are also there. Mm-hmm. Being much more friendly than our cat and dog. Fair. And Willow's lamenting that she can never have the life that Oz has, that Oz left the game and he went off and he made a life for himself and Willow can't do that. Yeah, and Oz's big thing is you should strive for normalcy, that you being a witch is not the only thing that you can or should be. If you want to be a mother, you can be. Yeah. And Willow freaks out and Oz hands her the baby and Willow has this moment of, kind of disbelief of that you would trust me with a life and for Oz, there's never a question there i love that willow's the character throughout the course of the show who had really the healthiest relationships i mean her and oz really fell apart at the end and she also fell apart you with Tara at a point buffy didn't have healthy relationships no willow and Tara were broken up there for a little while because of addiction but that's what i'm saying she didn't but overall, I mean, between Oz and Tara, Willow is really the one who had the strongest relationships in the show. Remember that time that Willow and Xander cheated together? That was awkward and I didn't like it. I do remember that. And then they were discovered in episode 308. That one, Cordelia had the rebar through her, but it didn't really cause any repercussions ever. <laughs> and they had the fake out of a funeral? Yes. Yes. And then they panned down and they're like, so Cordelia's going to be okay. Yeah, that was a 308 Lover's Walk when Spike came back for that one episode. I trust you on that. I, I promise I'm right. I promise you are too. I believe you inherently. And he goes to try and win Drusilla back. Oh, Drew. I love Drew. I might be love's bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. Is that a Spike line or a Drew line? Of course it's a Spike line. I was just checking. Look at us, we just had a tangent about Buffy on the Buffy podcast. I'll probably cut it. Maybe I won't. We'll see. It was more topical than our normal tangents. We'll see in editing. Who <laughs> suspenseful. Just like Don. But Andrew is following Willow around with the camera and sees that Buffy's gonna go confront her. He's like, will this be the confession? And I know I mentioned that I really like the Oz going, huh, line, but in as much flack as I will give a lot of the Jane Espenson stuff, she knows the characters in and out. And there's a Willow line in here that really stands out as stellar that reminds you that show writers are working on this season because it's the most willow of i always say like the aussiest of oz lines the most willowest of willow lines but it is 100 percent willow it is it's nice to hear willow's voice again yeah and buffy goes up and she's gonna confess to the whole like i kill you in the future thing and she goes uh hi and willow just goes hey buff you want to play with this baby he's working up some fine patty cake skills don't let him hustle you and that's just such a Willow line, and I love it. I love hearing the character so clearly through the text. That just makes you smile listening 
listening to it, reading it, whatever. It, I mean, either way, it, it's always easy to tell when a writer doesn't have a character's voice. And it's so refreshing when a writer just has this through line to the character. And it's a great line. It's a great moment. It's small, but it's 100% Willow. And I really appreciate that. I mean, that's why it matters that all of these writers made it back onto the comics. And Buffy confesses, she's I kill you in the future. And Willow's immediate response was, it wasn't me. Her response is like, yeah, fine, whatever. I'm Here I am, I'm doing okay. Yeah, basically but, she's know. like, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but right now we're fine, and knowing that, we can work against that. And Buffy says she has to go tell Xander, because when they were talking, Xander said like, hey, when you and Willow have it out, come tell me how it goes. And then we get a weird moment. So Buffy goes to find Xander, and she walks into his room and immediately sees Xander, but he's not alone, and in fact, he's with Dawn. And they are playing tonsil hockey. Ew. So my issue is more that there's not a lot of lead up to it. Yeah, because, I mean, the first part of the season, for a little while, we were really building up the Renee and Xander thing, and then we offed Renee. R.I.P. We'll pour one out for you. So that part's awkward. Also, just the fact that... The age difference is there, too. It's not massive. I mean, the older you get, the less it matters. But there's still, like, a four-year age difference. It's also the fact that Dawn's kind of everybody's little sister. And when Dawn was introduced, like, literally her second episode, Xander's babysitting for her. And Dawn has, like, this crush on Xander. And he's with Anya, who then dies. And it's this whole thing. Yeah, that's a little weird. And it doesn't happen yet in this arc, but Buffy will make fun of him for being a cradle robber and all this stuff and it's not terribly far off the mark i never buy it this is one of those things we mentioned it before that it's really hard to introduce new characters into the comics into what was previously a television medium because we don't really care about the new characters so it almost feels like xander and don are hooking up because no one else is around right when in fact they're surrounded by slayers at all times but we just don't really know or see them The two that we have come to know, Renee, A, is dead. B, Satsu is more developed than Renee, but she's not that enticing of a character, I guess. She also comes and goes fairly quickly. And, yeah, I mean, Satsu plays no real role in future seasons. Kennedy plays a role, but she was an established character. Yeah. Even characters who had, like, one episode are going to play bigger roles than Satsu. Huh. So, Andrew finishes up his documentary... Brings it to the whole Slayer clan. This is another weird writing moment. But Andrew, in his fantasy realm of where he's telling the story, he's like, well, that's very sad, referring to Xander and Don making it and Buffy being upset about it. But at least things are out in the open, and the only one left with a secret is me. And you feel like it's going to be this big payoff, and all his goes, I thought Willow was telling Honest to Twilight. I thought she was a tattletale, and she's not. That's his big secret. I didn't think that we had a secret that was actually revealed. I know, it's not much. And then our feline friend, who's been around this whole issue, disappears, and the spy all along was a magic cat. Yes. Dumb. Very Sabrina the Teenage Witch-esque. It's not a talking cat. It's a magic cat, though. And Buffy's like, we're at war. Yes. What is it good for? absolutely nothing say it again no all right but they know that twilight is on their trail because you know there was a magic cat 
It's basically just a tracker. What a terrible red herring. There should have been a red herring. The magic cat. But all the Slayer's powers are gone since they've been in Tibet, and they can't get them back. And kind of out of nowhere, and this is kind of the part of this I don't like, Bay reveals that they haven't really been holistic with their magics and just like giving it back to the earth like a bunch of hippies, but they've been giving it to a bunch of vengeful, wrathful gods. Goddesses, more like. Or goddesses, my mistake. Yeah, so we find out that by feeding their energy back into the earth, that it's not centering them as much as it's they just are just feeding it to some goddesses who live. Some under subterranean the earth. goddesses who are like, hey, give us your moon energy. Yes, and so they do. And your slayer energy, and your witchy energy. Yeah, they do. And Willow is particularly upset that they're going to have to fight a war without any magic. Because Willow probably could have won this by herself. Yeah, probably. At full strength. And they start to prep, and they have a bunch of weapons somehow. Like, they have Chinese assault rifles, which Buffy refuses to touch. I'm kind of with Buffy on this one. I don't know where they get them. Nah. And then they start to prep for Twilight attacking. Twilight doesn't know that they don't have magic yet, so Andrew starts making them cook up all of these things that look magical but really aren't and there's ultimately no payoff here so it's kind of a waste of space yeah it doesn't really fool anybody so we move on to the war actually starting and as everything is about to go down you remember monroe i mentioned him a while ago i do was he a werewolf oz's frenemy yeah they weren't really friends fellow werewolf they were in a certain brotherhood together but you know not a fraternity Probably a good thing. Of wolves. Werewolves. They're wolves. A pack. Really glossed over my young Frankenstein reference. I really did, yeah. Monroe shows up and he says to Oz that he's willing to help. And Oz is like, you're on our side. He's like, you're trying to protect magic. Bitch, I think you're on my side. Right. And he turns into a werewolf. Oz is in a very weird position here. Yeah, Oz has really had his whole life upset. It's like, I was just hanging out in Tibet trying to not be taken over by China, and then the rest of you show up with a sub. And so the war starts. The werewolves attack the army brought by Twilight. The slayers, who no longer have their powers, attack. And they have... My favorite bit is they're dropping torpedoes down a mountainside, basically on a Cool Runnings-esque sled to explode. Yep. And it works decently okay. They're able to explode a tank. I'm very excited about the torpedoes working on land. But the problem is that girls are dying and they are just not winning. That Twilight's army is definitely winning the day. They don't have the army. And included in these near casualties is Bay, And Oz runs out to the battlefield and carries her back. Yep. In the most opportune of times while Bay is bleeding out and dying, Buffy starts questioning her about all of these goddesses who are taking their power. And Oz is like, what are you doing? Yeah, Buffy's like, this is just so unfair that this is happening, and they've they've taken our power, and how do we get it back? And Oz, my wife is dying. She's like, no, Oz, it's not about you. You're a guest star. He's definitely a guest star. Special guest star. Extra special guest star. Extra, that was never in it. I'm making it a thing. And Bay says that we give them the power to protect us, and they go and find these agent scrolls that will tell them information. And so Buffy, along with Willow, Willow, I was going to say it has to be Willow, 
They you know, summon the goddesses to come and fight against the army of Twilight. That's going to go well. These goddesses, I don't like them. They're very ornate. Yeah, it's this... Stylistically, they don't fit in this world. No, not that well. But it's... It's aesthetically weird. jarring. Yeah, it's nothing like we've ever seen before. No. And they're massive and there are three of them and I really don't know how to take them. And Buffy and Willow assume that these goddesses are going to be on their side, but they just start, you know, stomping on everyone. Not just Twilight's men, but the Slayers as well. And everyone's dying and these goddesses just don't care. And Bay says that it's because they've been underground too long. They've been being siphoned to this energy and they've forgotten who's on their side. They haven't seen the world. Yeah. So their solution is chaotic violence. Yeah, no, I've never really understood that, but what do I know? I also don't own a planet. And Buffy sees something in the distance, and they get a jeep and ride on off. And who do they see but Riley? A wounded and bloody Riley, and Buffy apparently has like 20-10 vision. Right, because she's just like, there he is, I found him. But Buffy sees Riley, and she picks him up and brings him back to base with Oz and Bay. Meanwhile, they're dodging the goddess's legs, and some of the werewolves are trying to attack them, and it's just not working. The goddesses have soaked up so much power that they can do whatever they want, and they don't care. And here's a moment that I've never been able to decipher one way or the other. They even mention it in the book. Amy says that they're taking Riley prisoner, and Twilight says he's no prisoner. He was working for her the whole time. And Warren's like, you knew this or you didn't? It's kind of unclear. And they never actually address if Twilight knew this or not. So what do you think? I'm going to say yes, because I never bought Riley as the double agent on the other side. Riley's not a good double agent, so I, th- I think yes as well. Riley is, he's too pure of a character. He's that guy with like that unflappable moral compass to the point of his own detriment. Riley is very much on the path of what he thinks and knows is right. Riley's an idiot. Riley is loyal. Still an idiot. Riley is kind. He is all of these things. I like Riley. So do I. I'm always happy when he shows up in the books. But these goddesses are kicking ass and Buffy takes all of the slayers without their powers and says we need to make a final stand. In a moment that I really like, Oz and Riley didn't know each other that well. Riley mostly knew Oz as a student when he was a TA, even though Riley did give up his military career, at least temporarily, to save Oz from the initiative. Mm -hmm. They didn't know each other that well. And Riley goes up to Oz and says, she knows she'll lose. Oz responds, she knows. Amazing woman. They all are. I was trying, when I first read this, I didn't know if he meant, like, all women all over the world or just the Slayers slash... I took it as... Witches that the, are there. The Slayers who are going up against these impossible odds. That's what I took it as well, too, but... I didn't take it as, like, all women everywhere. Just the Slayers. Yeah, slash fine. Witches. Yeah. Slash Dawn. Slash yeah, Gender. just going up impossible odds. Yeah. And I, I like that moment that the two of them can kind of commiserate that they've been surrounded by these powerful women for years and in both cases i mean riley with years of training and oz even with you know being a werewolf they're nothing comparatively yeah especially compared to this army of slayers and the army rushes out buffy is picked up by a god and dropped and passes the hell out 
And five hours later, she wakes up in a snowbank with the because Slayers. Because there's snow now. Snow yep. is weird. That's weird. The Slayers are being held at gunpoint by the army. Yeah, and they've essentially lost. Twilight's army won the battle, and they're patrolling a bunch. Not everyone, but they are. They've captured a bunch of people, including like Giles and Faith, and they're just gonna raid them off. And Buffy wakes up. And starts to fly. It's an odd moment. I actually flipped back a couple pages when I was first reading this because I was like, wait. Buffy out of nowhere is just levitating and she's surprised as anyone else and just, what the hell? Yeah, I was I was as confused by the snow and everything because we were literally in the middle of this fight scene where they're making their last stand. They're not sure how they're going to defeat them, but we know it's Buffy. So something has to go right somewhere in this. And then she flies. She all of a sudden flies. She wakes up in a snowbank and starts flying odd fly like an eagle and that's where we leave off buffy is flying that she is and we are inching closer to the finale of season eight that we are but if you want to find the show you can go over to editorsnotecomics.com the show can be found on facebook instagram twitter as well as the store yes also the physical store sometimes we go to comic cons too on a relatively regular basis but the show's over on itunes and youtube if you on iTunes, you can give a rate to review, a subscribe. Say hi to us. I, I like an email. I like a correspondence. Because otherwise, we're just talking into the void of the internet and hoping that someone's listening. I like to imagine that I'm talking to this egg crate. You mean the soundproofing foam? Right. Mm. The soundproofing foam. Yeah, we'll be back next week for kind of our penultimate episode on season eight. Let's hope it's actually penultimate this is it, time. It is penultimate, thanks. Okay. Great. Sounds good. Where we find out who Twilight is, and characters return, and <gasps> hijinks. And drama. And a lot of sex. So you'll just have to tune in next week to find out that hey. intriguing scenario. Sex sells. We gotta sell them on the sex appeal. Who are we selling? I don't know, the listeners. Come back next week. Sex. So much <laughs> sex. Sex appeal. We're gonna talk about it sexily or awkwardly. Definitely the latter. Nope. Definitely not the former. Well, then it's going to be awkward sex talk next week. We'll be back. Bye.